Welcome to Straight Talk for Real Life, produced by Hewlett Packard Enterprise. In this episode, we'll talk about a global epidemic that is affecting half of the world's population, creating serious physical and mental health problems. And no, I'm not talking about COVID. Instead, I'm talking about a silent adversary that has inflicted more physical harm, mental anguish, and claimed more lives than any virus ever could. I'm talking about loneliness. I think this is not just a personal issue, but this is a societal issue that has massively widespread implications. Things like maybe drug use or alcohol abuse. It's a, it's a major cause of things like depression, heart disease, and cancer. And I'm excited that we are now destigmatizing the idea of talking about how we feel and our feelings and this pervasive sense of loneliness that seems to be at epidemic levels in every corner of the globe. Join us as we invite one of our most popular experts, Dr. Brad Shuck, back to this podcast to give us his insights and solutions on loneliness. The purpose of this podcast is to foster discussion, not to provide advice. The information shared should never be used as an alternative to obtaining personalized advice from a healthcare professional. And listeners should seek such advice independently if they have any questions related to their physical or mental health. This podcast hosts different viewpoints, and the opinions of the speakers do not necessarily reflect the views of HPE. Hi there, and welcome to Straight Talk for Real Life. I'm Bob Peacock. According to a 2023 Meta Gallup survey that included people in 142 countries, more than a billion people worldwide, that's nearly one in four people, experience loneliness. Now, we know the real numbers are actually much higher than that because, first, the survey didn't include people in China, which is the second most populous country in the world. And even in the countries it did include, we know that a lot of people don't talk about their loneliness. And it's something most of us have experienced. But here's something you need to know. Doctors say that loneliness is a significant contributor to multiple mental and physical health issues. It elevates the risk of premature death overall and increases the likelihood of death from cancer. Just last year in the U.S., the Surgeon General, Dr. Vivek Murthy, came out with an advisory that says loneliness is as deadly as smoking 15 cigarettes a day, and it can be more lethal than drinking six alcoholic drinks a day. According to research, loneliness is even more dangerous to your health and well-being than obesity. Bottom line is this, loneliness is not something we should ignore. So why is loneliness so pervasive today? Some might blame it on technology, but technology has made social connection faster and easier than ever before. You might blame it on COVID, the ultimate disconnector, right? But even though many more of us are back to spending more time around other people at work and at home, data shows we are still lonelier than ever. So the bigger questions are, why are people lonelier these days? And what can we do to end loneliness and keep it from being a threat in our lives? Today, we are going to answer those questions. And the key to that is the word we. To help us get some answers that could change your life, I'm thrilled to welcome back a friend of the podcast, Dr. Brad Shuck. 
This is Brad's third time on Straight Talk for Real Life. In the past, he shared his thoughts on how to lead a happier, healthier life in an episode that still holds the number one spot as the most listened to episode of this podcast. Dr. Shuck is an internationally recognized thought leader in the areas of employee engagement, leadership, and employee health and well-being. He is a tenured full professor at the University of Louisville in Kentucky and the program director of the Human Resources and Organizational Development Program at that university. He was among a group of esteemed scholars who were invited to study gratitude with the John Templeton Foundation. And his research has been featured all over the world, including publications like Forbes, Washington Post, India's Economic Times, The Hindu Times, and Time Magazine. It's also worth noting that just last year he was named one of the top four faculty favorites at the University of Louisville, and he's one of our favorites too. Brad, it is so great to have you back. Bob, this is amazing. I'm so thrilled uh, to be back with you, uh, with the team at HPE, and to be talking about something that is really, I think, very personal for all of us. And emotional for all of us in many ways. I mean, I, I know that many of us have experienced loneliness at different points uh, of our life. Maybe it was moving to a new city or a new job, or it was um, the disconnection of a relationship that had been in place. Or I can just think of so many examples in my own life where loneliness has been something that I've also felt too. And I know a lot of my friends and my colleagues and my family have, have also experienced this. So I, I can't imagine a more important topic right now and thinking about this from a science-based perspective we're going to we're going to really have a great conversation today okay so let's start at the very beginning i think most of us can recall a time when we we felt those intense personal feelings of loneliness like you say it, it, maybe it was after a relationship breakup or after a move to a new city or starting a new job or maybe even the death of a loved one what is loneliness from a scientific perspective? Yeah, so w when you think about loneliness from a, a science-based perspective, loneliness is really a feeling of isolation or disconnection from others that's often accompanied by a sense of emptiness, a sadness, or a longing for companionship in some way. I think one of the distinguishing factors about loneliness is it's not merely like the physical absence of being away from people. You can be in a crowded room. In fact, I've worked with a lot of leaders who have said, I've been surrounded by people and yet I'm still profoundly lonely. So it isn't the physical absence, mm. but it's the perception of being disconnected or a lack of meaningful connections with others. Loneliness is something that can be experienced at any time, and particularly if somebody feels misunderstood, disconnected, or isolated. And this happens in a really complex set of emotional feelings and a state that has significant psychological, as you mentioned, psychological and physical impacts on a person's well-being. So is loneliness the same as social isolation? And is there a difference between feeling lonely, mm. being alone, and experiencing loneliness? Yes, I love this. I love the distinction here. So let's take, um, let's take being alone for a minute. 
So being alone, I think, is something that's very natural. I mean, I think about times in my life when I've been alone. I've just been me, and I've taken a walk in the woods, or I've engaged in my favorite hobby, or I'm just disconnecting a little bit. That idea of being alone necessarily isn't a bad thing. It's actually a very recharging thing. It's a very healthy thing. Spending time alone can be something that's very healing for people. The idea of being lonely, isolation, it's a natural human emotion that we all kind of go through that doesn't define our worth or reflect negatively on us. So for example, I can be, I can feel lonely, like, oh, I'm kind of lonely, but then I can go do something about that. Like I can go connect with friends or I can send a, uh, uh, I can call somebody, I can engage in a hobby, I can go outside, I can do those. Loneliness is an emotional experience that sometimes happens as a result of being lonely or being alone, but not always. Loneliness is this subjective feeling where isolation is an objective state. I'm surrounded by people, but I don't feel connected. I'm in a crowd of others, but I feel misunderstood. I can be in a boardroom or in a meeting, and I can believe that no one sees me or values what I have to say. And that's really the antecedent, the driver of this idea of loneliness. Multiple surveys show that the human race has never been lonelier. Mm. What do you think has caused this kind of widespread loneliness? Well, I think there's a, I think there's a couple of things that we, we might want to talk about. The first is we're coming out of a time in history where isolation was, uh, was very much forced uh, into our lives. I mean, remember talking with colleagues who lived in India or in China or in South Korea who, who did not come out of their homes for months at a time. I have a friend of mine who trains as an ultra marathoner, and he was literally running laps around his living room because he could not go outside. This sense of isolation and disconnection was something that just we all lived with. And I think as we went through that time in history, the value proposition changed in our lives in many ways. Our work changed, our relationships changed, our communities changed. And we're still, I think, trying to figure some of that out. As a result of that value proposition changing, technology use became um, something we all kind of leaned into to connect with other people. And when we lean into that sense of technology, we were relying on something that was objectifying human relationships and connection. So when I'm using uh, Facebook or X or LinkedIn or any of the other platforms to connect with people like I did a few years ago, I'm, I'm not really making a, a truthful and authentic connection. And as a result of that, I think what's happened is we've become more disconnected through our use of technology that is supposed to be driving human interaction. And part of that is an independence and how we feel based upon that time in history that there's just a burden with all of the things that have to get done with a sense of distractedness and a sense of disconnectedness. And I think the result of that, Bob, has been loneliness. Every decade since the 1930s, it seems like we've started doing things more alone. 
Uh, and we've started to believe that doing things alone is the natural state of human beings. We want to take care of ourselves, and we think everyone else should too. We think nobody can help you but you. We, you hear that message all the time. Without that sense of community or connection to others, we've developed a seemingly very cold, everybody for himself or me against the world mentality. Is that affecting what is causing some of this loneliness? Yeah, I, I think so. But, and I'll also add, I think, that's a, I think that's a big myth. I think the idea of I've got to do it myself, I've got to do it by myself, and I've got to do it for myself has caused a very me-centric culture to take hold. And I, I actually find in, in my work, but also in my work in research, that that's not true. If you if you want to go fast, you maybe go alone. Maybe I can I can run really quickly. But if I want to go far, you take people with you. You you gather a community. You gather strengths and differences and opportunities for people to engage and collaborate in really true authentic ways. It's one of the things that I think has been an outcome of the the return to work. I get asked the question all the time, what do you think we ought to do? Should we go hybrid, remote? Like, what does this look like? And my answer to that question is yes. And they go, no, 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 no. Like, which one do you think? And I go, oh, yes, I think you should do what's best for you. But I do think there is tremendous value in sitting across the table from someone and looking them in the eye and having conversations and being in meetings together and going down the hallway and grabbing lunches and those kinds of things. There's a, there's a real sense of value. And Bob, I, I think you're absolutely right that it is stepping back sometimes and reframing what is a pervasive uh, cultural lens, which it is a me, me, me. And I don't think that's true. I think it is about us and we. And when we lean into us and we, we can go so much further. And it is such a more fruitful, collaborative, and relationship-driven journey. And that is the antidote to loneliness. Yeah. New York Times columnist Nicholas Kristof wrote an article that blamed our lack of human connection today on our own drive for success, whatever that means to individuals. And it might mean more success at work or more money or a higher position. Here's what he wrote. One of the paradoxes of the human race is that while we evolved to be social creatures, our desire for wealth and success has driven us towards solitude. What are your thoughts? Has, has our own drive for success been a factor in causing this loneliness? Hmm. I, that's a, it's a really great question. And I, I, I land on this as I think about, and I reflect on my own life for a minute. If I, if, if I think about my own personal position, I, and I, in fact, I just wrote about this uh, a couple of LinkedIn posts ago around every day I wake up and I've still got more work to do. And every day when I walk away from my computer at seven o'clock at night, I can hear my emails pinging, ping, 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 ping. My, my ears have become accustomed to hearing the busyness of my life. Now, there's a sense of maybe there's a sense of value. It's, a, it's an artificial value of being busy. Um, oh, I am so, I, you know, how are you doing? Oh, I'm so busy. I'm so busy today. I've got so much going on. I think that is true. I think many, many people across the world 
are doing more today than they were yesterday. And I don't see that slowing down. There's, in fact, a new term that's come out called strategic slowness. And strategic slowness is the art of intentionally slowing yourself down. And what I think that Nicholas was talking about was this false idol that we've got, that wealth and success is is all that we're after. And I think what I'm finding is that the more things I gather tangibly, so if I, you know, I get that, uh, I, I get that thing that I've been longing after, my hope is in that thing. Let's say I want to get a really nice new car. There's nothing wrong with having a nice car. I like driving a nice new car. There's nothing wrong with having the nice new car, but it's where is my hope placed? There's, there's no hope in a car, Bob. There's, there's, there's no hope in a house or a new basement or a boat or that vacation. There is, there's no hope in that. It's a, it's a false idol. Rather, our energy and our time should be placed in relationships and people that are dynamic and in the moment. I mean, you mentioned the Surgeon General. The thir- Surgeon General himself, Vivek Morthy, talked about how during his work and during his tenure, he largely neglected his own friendships. And he had convinced himself that he had to focus on work and that he couldn't have both things. He, he goes on to say, and I quote, I found myself increasingly lonely and isolated, and it felt as if I was the only one who felt that way. I think that's true for many people who could be listening. They're thinking, I'm the only person that feels this way. Well, here's the Surgeon General saying this. He goes on, loneliness like depression with which it can be associated can chip away at our self-esteem and erode the sense of who you are. And that's what happened to me. I think what happens is many people are driven to succeed. We value hard work. There's nothing wrong with that. We're rewarded for the results of our hard work in many ways. But even after we get that thing that we long after, that hope falls short and that loneliness sets in because there is no one yeah. around us. You talked about the value of getting back face-to-face. Um, let's talk about what true human connection is. Are mm. in-person chats better than virtual connections? And is like a video call, FaceTime or Zoom, better than a regular phone call? Mm. Or does that even matter? Yeah, so I think it's a super great question. And um, I think this is something that a lot of organizations, a lot of leaders, a lot of departments are really kind of thinking through right now. And let me be... Uh, let me be clear that I value the ability to kind of drive my own schedule. Um, I, I like the freedom and flexibility that I have when I think about remote meetings and being able to connect remotely. One of the things I love is I can be literally anywhere in the world and I can still connect back with my team and my students, and I love that. That being said, I do believe there is a lot of value in being together with other people. Now, I may not need that all the time for certain meetings or certain decisions that we need to make when it comes to, you know, work, but I do think that there is a sense of value even in community. Like what what if I'm building a sense of community with people who may I may not work with? I think that's okay. I, I do think that the more human connection we can have, the better off those relationships are and the less likely someone's going to feel disconnected, uh, not a part of, and lonely. Yeah. In the past on this podcast, we talked a lot about how man has evolved and how we've Mm. 
develop these physiological responses to perceived danger. It helps us to react quickly to life-threatening situations. In a similar theory, there's a a neuroscience researcher from the University of Chicago named John Cachapo who says that human beings exist today for one reason, because the earliest man lived in tribes, and they figured out how to cooperate with each other. They hunted together. They shared food. They looked after each other when they were sick, and they protected each other. So if you became separated from your tribe, you were vulnerable to predators and to illnesses. He says that when you are alone, you feel that insecurity because your brain is sending you natural, urgent signals to help get you back to your tribe. He says that humans need tribes as much as bees need a hive. What are your thoughts? Oh, I, I, I couldn't agree more. I I think we're hardwired for human connection. Uh, I think our, our brains and our bodies are physiologically hardwired to respond to um, feeling loneliness. And um, you mentioned the, the emotion of vulnerability. I, uh, my wife, uh, who is a former educator, um, used to teach kindergarten. And one of the things that she would tell her kindergartners uh, frequently was, we can do hard things together. And I think about that in my own life, how that's manifested itself. And the projects that have been the most difficult and the most stressful, those where I've been alone or isolated or working as, a, as, a, as an end of one, those projects have been the most lonely. They've been the most difficult. They've been the most hard. But when I can share those moments with other people and I'm around a community and together we can do hard things, that's made all the difference in not just not feeling lonely or being alone, but it's really resulted in feelings of joy and love and happiness yeah. because I'm with people who I know care about me. And I think that makes a Absolutely. huge difference. I think so too. So why is loneliness something that we should take more seriously? You know, um, I think about for those who might be listening uh, to this podcast episode, wherever you may be in the world and, I think this is not just a personal issue, but Bob, I think this is a societal issue that has massively widespread implications. I think about things like, what do we do? How do we cope with being lonely? How do we numb those feelings? Well, we probably engage in habits that probably aren't always healthy for us. We engage in things like maybe drug use or alcohol abuse, or we engage in other kinds of behaviors that are self-destructive over time. It's a, it's a major cause of things like depression, there are physiological studies that have looked at this from how loneliness impacts us from things like heart disease and cancer and respiratory illnesses. One of the, um, one of the most interesting studies that we've come across is a study that was published just last year that showed that lonely people were more susceptible to the common cold, something as pedestrian as the common cold. And here's what happened. Lonely and non-lonely people were giving nasal drips that contained the cold virus, and then they were quarantined in their hotel rooms for a couple of days. And not surprisingly, the lonely people, they got sicker, and they suffered more, and their symptoms were more severe than those who said that they weren't lonely. It impacts things like sleep and blood pressure and increased hormones like cortisol and epinephrine, which in turn contribute to things like pain, inflammation, weakened immunity, and and quite possibly risk for long-term chronic disease. 
Yeah, one thing that really surprised me was I found out that loneliness can also cause cognitive decline, dementia, and stroke. In fact, lonely people are more than twice as likely to develop Alzheimer's as the non-lonely. So let's talk about who is most susceptible to loneliness. Now, before I started reading about this stuff, I would have thought that loneliness is mostly an older generation issue. People retire. They lose their friends at work. Uh, they see the deaths of spouses, friends, family members, maybe even pets. And these are all causes of loneliness. Yeah. But in fact, older adults, age 65 and older, have the lowest rates of loneliness. Mm -hmm. Explain that. Well, um, yeah, I think about, uh, think about my own parents. Um, who are retired. And I think about the time that they repurpose in their life to connect with other people or build communities in other ways through volunteering or reaching out or, um, or, or doing work with a nonprofit or just being in their community. Now, I want to be clear, that's not to say that um, those who are retired or those who may be a part of an older generation don't experience loneliness because they do. I think, I think it's an emotion that we all experience. Here's what I think is absolutely jaw-dropping, uh, to be honest, is that the research is clear that the loneliest age group falls between the ages of 18 and 22. It's young adults. And I, I think about some of the things we've already talked about, the use of technology, the time and period of history in which they came into uh, young adulthood and what that meant for them and how that's been shaped. Um, it concerns me because this group of individuals, this age group, is also uh, susceptible to things longer in their life. Like they have a longer runway to develop disease. They have a longer runway to develop challenges and problems. And so I, when we say this is a societal issue, I think this is one of the reasons why. Our young adults report being the loneliest age group of, of all of the age groups. So why do you think that young adults are so susceptible to loneliness? Yeah, I'm, I'm smiling right now because I have, a, I have a very good friend of mine who uses the phrase, um, your, your trauma is your superpower. And when I think about that, I think about what I normally post on, uh, on social media. Bob, it's not, it's not the bad stuff. It's all the good stuff, right? It's, it's, getting, that, it's getting that correct picture and getting that word just right and getting that that sense of fitting in that is extremely, extremely important. Nobody posts about the things that, that aren't going so well uh, or, or that have been problems for them. Or oftentimes the vulnerabilities aren't the things that people share. And so as a result of that, my own experience raising a 13-year-old is that fitting in is extremely, extremely important. In fact, fitting in is a currency in some ways with this particular age group. The use of social media and technology has been rampant. It's just been a part of who they are. It's, it, it's um, in many ways, the fabric of how they know to build relationships. I also think this, this age group, young people, they change jobs. They move away. This is about replacing FaceTime, like I would FaceTime on my phone, with real FaceTime uh, with other people in front of um, sitting at the dinner table together at night, playing games together, spending time outside, making sure that the relationships that I'm building aren't technology driven, but they're human driven. Right. 
Has there been research regarding if men or women are more prone to suffer from loneliness? I think the research would suggest that men and women are equally prone to feeling loneliness, that there isn't a, there isn't a gender disparity in terms of, of one feels lonelier than the other. But I do think that men, the research would back this up, that men are more apt to suffer in silence. They are more likely to put that on their own back and try to carry that burden by themselves. And they don't need to be doing that. The research would suggest that women are more willing to at least ask for help or to have a conversation about that. Like I'm, I'm not feeling myself or I'm feeling a little lonely. And, and I think women are more likely to ask for help. And so it's, it's important regardless of whether you're a man or a woman or you identify as a different pronoun that you're willing to have a community around you that to extend yourself and say, I, I need some help. You mentioned the importance of fitting in, and we talked about this a little bit earlier. No matter what age you are, loneliness can happen when people feel different from others around them. Is that right? Oh, a hundred percent. You know, I, I might ask our, our listeners to think about a time when they, they didn't feel a part of, they felt disconnected. They, didn't feel like they could raise their hand in a meeting. They didn't feel like their voice mattered. They were surrounded by a group of people. And again, they just, they just felt really lonely. I think loneliness is something that can happen uh, regardless of your race, your religion, your age, your sexual orientation, your abilities. Loneliness is about when you don't fit in. And loneliness it can be exacerbated, for example, uh, in those who, who live life with a disability, especially those with mobility impairments. Those, uh, those groups of uh, folks report higher levels of loneliness than those without disabilities. I think about those who might have a different sexual orientation. Those individuals may be at higher risk for loneliness due to discrimination or just feeling different, being in a room and saying, I'm the only person like me here. Single parents, single adults without children, they're at higher risk for loneliness than those who perhaps are married or who have children. Although I will say, I know a lot of married people who are really lonely who haven't connected with their spouse or, or who have kids. And despite the fact that they're around other people within the same house, they still feel lonely. And I think about veterans uh, who often suffer from things like depression and post-traumatic stress and the exacerbation of those impairments, those, that on loneliness and how that can really take a toll on a person over time. I want to spend just a minute talking about technology, including the use of social media. It is so important to many of us these days. We check it first thing in the morning, perhaps several times during the day. If you're a teenager, you probably send a hundred texts a day. I'd love to know your thoughts on how much social media is to blame for loneliness. It seems that the, the way people use social media, always showing the vacation photos and the perfect lifestyles, and having hundreds of quote-unquote friends may be fooling some people into thinking they are part of a community, when in reality, that community might be more toxic and isolating. Is that right? Yeah. So I think social media has been a tool um, that has exacerbated uh, the disconnect in some ways. Now, look, I, I got to be, I got to level with you for a second. Um, I don't know about you, but the very, and my, my wife will uh, check me on this, the very first thing I do every day, I check my email. I, I pick up my phone and I open up my email to see what has happened and is there anything I need to know about right now. 
you know, Bob, at 5.30 in the morning, there, there's not a whole lot of fires I have to solve right now, but I still check it. I can sometimes incessantly refresh LinkedIn to see who's liked or commented on a post that I've made. So all the things that we're talking about, like I do these things too. I will tell you, I know a lot of folks who are coming to the conclusion that social media is not the best way to build a community. I know a lot of people that who, uh, a lot of male friends of mine who no longer have social media accounts. They, they got rid of Facebook. I know other individuals, a, a good friend of mine uh, who's a terrific keynote speaker, she got rid of all of her social media accounts with the exception of LinkedIn just to focus there because she found that it took up such an enormous amount of energy in her life that it wasn't worth the cost. I think what we're finding is that what people share sometimes can be superficial. And sometimes the best thing we can do is to reach out to someone, pick up the phone, send an email, send a card in the mail, find a, drop by their house and say hi if you have a neighbor that you've not seen in a little bit. It's probably not a bad idea for many of us to put some boundaries around our use of social media or to take a break from social media altogether and, and to see how you feel. After, like if you took a two-week break from social media and you came back and you said, gosh, how do I feel? I would imagine many of us might feel more connected despite being disconnected from social media. And then we'd have something to write about on social media, right? <laughs> That's exactly right. Okay. That is exactly right. <laughs> I want to talk for just a moment about how loneliness affects entire societies and why nations are, are now spending millions of dollars to address this issue. Uh, talk about the cost to society and what some of the countries are doing. Yeah. So, you know, I, I think... I think this is becoming um, a global issue because it, it isn't uh, defined by country boundaries. I think one of the more interesting use cases of how countries are uh, fighting this epidemic uh, is a use case in Britain where they were the first to create the, a minister of loneliness. They did this back in 2018. They've spent more than $100 million creating programs to help alleviate loneliness. Japan and Sweden have also appointed ministers of loneliness, and Australia is considering the development of a similar kind of position. I wonder, um, I wonder how many other countries are going to follow follow suit with that. In the U.S., loneliness can cost an additional don't miss this an additional six point seven billion dollars a year in Medicaid spending, which costs employers a hundred and fifty four billion a year on stress-related things like absenteeism. I think the cost here is enormous. Now, the monetary cost is really important for us to focus on. Million, I mean, these are big numbers, $100 million, $154 billion. I, I think about the human cost, like what it feels for that one person to feel lonely. And I'm excited that we are now destigmatizing the idea of talking about how we feel and our feelings and this pervasive sense of loneliness that seems to be at epidemic levels in every corner of the globe. When someone is going through loneliness, um, there's this feeling of helplessness. Why is that? Why can't we just do something to try to help ourselves feel better when we're experiencing those feelings. 
Yeah, it, this is such a great question. And listen, if, if you're listening today and, and you feel lonely, um, I, go outside, connect with nature, call a friend, um, uh, send a text and tell somebody that you're thinking about them. Bob, I, I think this is like very a lot of other mental health challenges is that there has just been a stigma about loneliness. It's this, well, there's something wrong with me. Like I'm something, I've done something and it's my fault. And I want to be really clear that uh, this is not anybody's fault. It's not, there's something wrong. I, I think that we can feel feelings of being inferior or unloved and we don't want people to know these things. And so we make excuses for why we shouldn't help ourselves and feel less lonely. And maybe it's my fault. And there, again, there's something wrong. And as a result of that, these things can snowball into, into additional health issues. And so people who experience loneliness are also less likely to exercise. They're also less likely to eat healthy. And they're also at risk of self-medicating, which is, which is not healthy. But we're looking for ways to cope with, numb, and escape the sadness of what loneliness feels like in the moment. And so I don't think it's as easy as just like doing something. But I do think there are some solutions that we can talk about, some things that we can do to better socially connect with folks. Um, on both sides of the coin, one of those sides of the coins is if I'm feeling lonely here in the moment, or what is my opportunity to help someone who might be feeling lonely? And so I, I think there are some really amazing solutions that, that we can chat about. Okay, so let's spend some time talking about solutions. According to the U.S. Surgeon General, we've talked about them throughout this podcast, social connection is a fundamental human need as essential to survival as food, water, and shelter. He said, our individual relationships are an untapped resource, a source of healing in plain sight. The key to human connection are simple but extraordinarily powerful. Why is developing human connection one of the main anecdotes for loneliness? Yeah, so I, I think about uh, a parallel moment in, uh, in history, and I think about the Great Depression, um, which some of the folks who are listening to this today experience firsthand. The uh, Great Depression was economically devastating. Uh, everything it was unstable. It was, it was a really difficult time to, to live through. And yet mortality rates didn't rise. In fact, they went, they went down. And it, this goes back to the saying that my wife had, which was, we can do hard things together. Here's what happened. See, when all of those things went away, when all of those material, tangible possessions, they, they, they left in a, in a moment's notice, poof, they were gone. You know what people did? They, um, they went to community centers, they engaged in church groups, they were a part of men's and women's clubs, they developed games clubs like bridge clubs and garden clubs and bowling leagues, and people depended on other people around them to help them get through difficult times. You see, in times of stress and instability and uncertainty, what we find is that we can do hard things together, but what has happened is that this sense of isolation and disconnection has been a pervasive myth. And Bob, you talked about this earlier, the drive for me, 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 and what I need, what I need, what I need, what I've got, what I feel like I've got to do. That burden is a lie. Instead of chasing the next material thing, 
what we find is that when we engage with other people and we get back into community institutions and we get back into clubs and we're around others and we challenge our own biases by spending time with people outside our own social groups sometimes, we create opportunities that bring people together in ways that will fundamentally transform their lives. The most listened to episode of this podcast was when you were here talking about how to find true happiness in your life. And I think this applies to what we're talking about for loneliness. And uh, I, I guess in a way I'm talking about our values and goals and what matters most to us and drives how we spend our time. So uh, I, I guess my question is simply this. What truly makes us happy? So I think what, what makes us really happy is, is oftentimes not the things that we would uh, think would be rational. Like I, I might think that... Um, uh, a, a gaining some kind of notoriety or popularity, that those things would make me really happy. But the research here, I think, is really crystal clear that achieving things like intrinsic goals or helping another person or being a better friend, those things make us less lonely. In fact, 34 studies have shown that the more materialistic and extrinsically motivated you become, the more depressed, anxious, and unsatisfied you are. And I would add, I would add to that, I would guess the more lonely you are. I, I know a lot of incredibly successful people. On, on the outside, I mean, they look like they have everything together. Like it's all buttoned up and it's, it's really nicely lined out. You go, wow, if only I could do that. But he, here's, here's what I find is that People who've achieved those extrinsic goals, they made more money, they've got the fancy car, they've achieved the promotion, they're the super duper vice president that they always wanted and, and sought after. That, that doesn't always equate to happiness. That doesn't always mean that we're happier. In, in fact, what I find is that maybe being a better dad or a better husband, maybe connecting with my daughter over a game of Uno or just sitting with my wife with a cup of coffee and we may not even be talking, but we're there together. Or if we're just uh, having a good time, helping out another person, if we volunteer, if we extend ourselves to others, I think that's really what drives happiness. When we're seeing our impact in the lives of other people, I think that drives a sense of community, togetherness, and a sense of happiness when it comes to, gosh, how can I drive a sense of gratitude, happiness, and joy in my life. Extending yourself to others, I think, is one way to do that. You know, for, for decades, songwriters have been writing songs about the pain of loneliness. Uh, Taylor Swift, one of the most popular artists today, she's written many of these songs. Uh, the lyrics to one of her songs in particular captures the helplessness that someone might feel when they're going through loneliness. In her song titled The Outside, she says, now it's all too late, so you see. You could have helped if you had wanted to, but no one notices until it's too late to do anything. I'm sure there are a lot of people out there who are in the depths of experiencing loneliness right now, and they may be thinking, you could have helped, but no one notices until it's too late. Sure. What words of encouragement, uh, what advice would you give to these people? I think my advice would be to help. I think I think I would I would identify ways in which I can encourage other people, where I can come alongside folks. Sometimes 
Bob, in the morning when I'm working out at the gym in between my, uh, my sets, I'll sit on the bench and I'll just send texts to random people, uh, p- people that just come to mind for me. And the, and the texts aren't uh, anything sappy or overthought. It's just like, hey, thinking about you today, how are you doing? Is there anything, uh, is there anything that I can be encouraging for you today? Okay, it, those are the kinds of things that are so easy to do, but so easy not to do because we got a lot of things going on in our mind. We got a lot of things to think about. The more that we can extend our umbrella to other people, and it doesn't matter if they respond or not. Someone may, may not be ready to come in under my umbrella. And I'm okay with that. But here's what I want them to know. I extended it to them and they're welcome here. And so to, to the degree that I can encourage others and help others feel a sense of connectedness, that's what I want my legacy to be. I don't want to be driven by promotions and external goals. I, that's not a legacy for me. For me, it really is about how can I help encourage other people? And so if there's somebody in your life that you've been thinking about that you've been meaning to send a text to, or there's a family member that you've not, that there's been a disagreement and you, re, you reach out to them today. That would, that would be something I would encourage you to do. If you're feeling lonely, I think the first step is acknowledging that and knowing, uh, knowing by way of this podcast episode that you are not alone in that and that you, you can heal from that. And doing things that make you happy can help with that. Spending time every day in a hobby or taking a short walk outside or just reconnecting with nature. One of the things that I love to do is I keep a gratitude journal. I just write down three words, just you know, three quick words every day that really kind of help focus my day on what I'm grateful for. And I, I also uh, think it's important that when we start small and we have a setback that we don't give up trying, that uh, we just take the next best step. We just take the next best step forward. And if you're feeling profoundly lonely, a sense of, uh, of, of loneliness that is hard to describe, I would encourage you to talk to a mental health professional and that there's, there's no reason to suffer in this alone because you're A, you're not alone. And B, there are people that care deeply for you and that care about your relationships. And so a mental health, prof- health professional might be able to help you isolate that cause and what is causing you to feel lonely and then help you come up with a plan to address that. Such great stuff. Uh, so as we close this episode, let's just talk generally. What are some things all of us can do to end our loneliness or to protect ourselves from suffering from loneliness? Uh, so, uh, so I'm going to challenge. I'm going to challenge everybody listening that when you get a moment today, you get two minutes, that you will reach out to someone and commit to connect. Um, just one person. You don't have to overthink it. You know, it doesn't have to be you know something super emotional. It can just be a simple text or a card or an email or a phone call or you're dropping by an office, but commit to connect. And I would encourage you. I I would imagine. That if you committed to do this every day for the next five days, your life would be different. It would feel different. That if we would commit to connect here, um, things might change. 
I would encourage you to express gratitude every day. I would, if, I would find a way to look around your life and see what's going well. So often we are quick to point out what's not going well. Bob, I can tell you all the things in my life that are not going well right now. But what I may not spend enough time thinking about is what is going exceptionally well. What's, what, what can I find joy in? And then taking a moment to think about how that sense of gratitude is impacting your life. How is that making you feel? Things like doing random acts of kindness. Uh, one of the things I talk about with leaders is sometimes we have to be the role model. Sometimes we don't know we can reach out because we haven't had anybody reach out in our lives. And so I, I encourage leaders, I implore leaders to be the role model here. Reach out to role model that sense of kindness. I think we can all agree that we could use a little more kindness in this world. If I'm at home, eat meals together sit at the dinner table. And it's amazing what happens when you create the space for people to connect in that way. Exercise, walk, paint, dance, whatever your hobbies are, do more of those things. And again, I'm going to encourage you not to wait for someone to reach out to you, but I really want to encourage anyone who's listening to this, no matter where you are in the world, to make the first move. I think you'll be shocked at how it might change things. Great ideas. Brad, thank you so much. It's so great to talk with you. Please come back again. Oh, I, I would absolutely love to come back. What It is an absolute pleasure to spend time thinking about the things that make life uh, go for us. I mean, think, and as you mentioned in an earlier episode, thinking about happiness and gratitude and joy and today thinking about loneliness and then giving solutions for how people can help themselves and others be reconnected in relationships that are truly meaningful in life. What an honor to be here. Research shows how we can have happier lives, and it's as simple as strengthening the relationships in our lives. So the next step is yours. My hope is that we will all make that call, meet that challenge, make at least one phone call, and start building the connections in our lives. If you're experiencing loneliness and need some help, you're not alone. If you're an HPE team member or a family member, HPE offers emotional and mental well-being support in our locations across the globe whenever you need it. These caring experts can listen and provide guidance that will help you get through the stress and sadness associated with loneliness. As always, there are many more great resources in the HPE Global Wellness Program that are designed to help team members as well as their family members. If you're in the U.S., you'll find those on myhperewards.com. And if you're outside the U.S., visit the Global Wellness page. Also, if you're listening in the United States and having suicidal thoughts, call or text 988 to reach the Suicide and Crisis Lifeline. My sincere thanks to Dr. Brad Shuck for being with us today. And as always, thank you for taking the time to listen. Until next time, be well, connect with others, and take good care of yourself. Let's talk again soon.